Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of one of our 2020 Elul study classes. This is Rabbi Josh Roshofsky, and there are many, many things that I can say about how much I just love the music of and love the friendship with Josh Roshofsky, um, but I will leave the music piece for him to share with you, and I will just say that one of the, one of the most interesting things about going into a high holidays like this year is that music will be both a very large component and also a, a separate component because depending on where you are and where your service is being held, you'll either be able to have a lot of music or not a lot of music. Um, and so to be able to come into the high holidays with music in our hearts and to be able to learn some Torah through that music, I think is like an added bonus to this high holidays. And so it's really a pleasure to uh, be in this class with the person who will be my Bima partner this high holidays, which is also very exciting, uh, Rabbi Josh Roshowski. So on to you. Thanks so much, Rabbi Shaz. It's so great to be with all of you. Hello. It's so great to see so many friendly and familiar faces. Um, and uh, so I thought maybe we'd, we'd start it off with, uh, with a little song. So uh, we're going to start with this nigun. Uh, it's probably very new to many people, so we'll just sing it a whole bunch of times, the first part, and then we'll make our way into the second part. It goes like this. That's the whole first part. We'll try it again.
Hello, everyone. It's uh, it's really wonderful to be with all of you. Uh, my name is Josh Warshawski, and uh, I'm really glad to be back here with Temple Betham uh, doing some work and some singing together. Uh, you're here at Music as Midrash, The Hidden Meaning of Song. We're going to talk a little bit about some of the, the, the texts that go behind the music and some of how the way that we express the text through music help to better express what I think the words are already trying to say. Um, so to begin, um, before we even get into any of the text or any stories, um, for those of you who are here for, for that melody, what sort of emotions was that, was, does that melody uh, evoke? If you want to unmute yourself so that we could hear your answer, you could definitely do that. What sort of emotions are you feeling when you hear a melody like that? It's not necessarily an emotion, but I felt a sense of unity, which is really nice. Hmm. A sense of unity. What, what brought on that sense of unity for you? Um, singing along and harmonizing and then seeing others singing along too. And even I, it's sort of, I forgot that we can't really hear each other. So thank you. Yeah. So even just the act of singing and getting to see each other's faces while we're engaging in song brings this sense of the sense of unity, right? When we're all singing the same melody, if you feel this unifying sort of force within you, that's beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. Any other emotions, feelings, things that are coming up when you, when you hear a melody like this? It seemed contemplative to me. Nice. What, what about it made it seem contemplative? I think the ups and downs kind of felt reminiscent of like going on a journey where you think you're on one path and then you're like, oh, it went a little different. Okay. Hmm. Interesting. Let me ponder what this is like. <laughs> Beautiful. Okay. So something contemplative there. Love it. All right, so we're going to hold Sadness. on and get back to that. Barbara. Sadness. And I can't give you a reason why. It just is a sad kind of song. Nice. We got to a part of it, and there, there's sort of a sadness that was evoked there, too. Thank you. Yeah. Um, I would say it sort of, for me at least, ev evokes um, a different time, the late 60s, early 70s, when guitar and singing like that and similar sorts of folk melodies were um, the music of the day. And, and I was really involved at that point in the music of the day. So, yeah. Nice. Thank you, Diane. So the music can sort of bring us back to a different time, right? When you hear a melody, it evokes for you a time when maybe you heard a similar melody or a vibe of a similar melody. It brings us back to different spaces and different places too. Awesome. So uh, the melodies that we use have a tendency to do that. They bring us back, they place us in a moment in time, and especially the melodies of the high holidays, for me, have this like very evocative feel that you hear some of them and you remember the first time that you were there. There are these melodies that we feel are like so iconic that if we didn't hear them, it, like, right, if, you, like, if you went to Rosh Hashanah services and you didn't hear anybody sing, Avinu Malkeinu, Right? It's like, did you even did you even fast on Yom Kippur if you didn't hear that melody? No, maybe. So you know, there's these melodies that are sort of stuck there, and then there's these opportunities for us to weave in other pieces into that moment as well. Um, okay, so I wanted to let's bring us into our, our source sheet here. I'll, I'll sort of I'll post it in the chat here. I don't know if it's easier for people. We can take a poll. Um, a, a straw poll here. Is it easier if you click on this this link in the for the source yourself, or would it be better if I shared my screen? And maybe Rabbi Schatz, if you is there like what people have done in the past, what's easiest? I think it just depends on how many people you want to be able to see at any given time. So cool. it's, it's actually up to you, I think. All right. Let, how do we feel about? I'll I'll share my screen for now. 
uh, so we can all see it. But you you also have this here, so if you uh, if you want to look at it on your own, you can do that too. Um, and I can actually pull this out, so I can see twenty five people. Twenty, I can see twenty people. Okay. Can everyone give me a thumbs up if you can see the source sheet? Is that everyone okay? Okay, great. So um, for maybe two or three of you, this first page might look a little familiar because we might have talked about it in a particular Ziegler class. So um, I just wanted to, before we even get into the text of the songs and the melodies that we're using, uh, I've been thinking a lot about the melodies we use for prayer and also what it is to, to pray. We're going to look at the actual liturgy in, a, in this. We have four weeks here where we're, we're going to be thinking about some of the texts of the High Holidays. But before we even get to that, I wanted to think about what is this act of music in prayer in connection to each other? So I'm wondering, would anyone just like to read this, uh, this Heschel quote at the top of the page? Can anyone take us through that? We have a volunteer with a strong voice for today. Sure. Barbara, will you, will you read it for us? <clears throat> In no other act does man experience so often the disparity between the desire for expression and the means of expression as in prayer. The inadequacy of the means at our disposal appears so tangible, so tragic, that one feels it a grace to be able to give oneself up to music, to a tone, to a song, to a chant. The wave of a song carries the soul to heights, which utterable meanings can never reach. Such abandonment is no escape, for the world of unutterable meanings is the nursery of, our, of the soul, the cradle of all our ideas. It's not an escape, but a return to one's origins. Beautiful. Thank you. Uh, this is one of my favorite Heschel quotes, um, and it, it's because it sort of marries the idea of prayer with the idea of of an un, of a melody without words. And what does it mean? We get to get get all these feelings, we get all these emotions when we're just singing this melody. We don't know what words this might fit to yet, but it already is sort of pregnant with possibility. It has all these different opportunities, all these emotions that it might evoke for us. It takes us to all these different places. And that's what music does. And that's why for thousands of years, ever since we began, we as Jews began to pray, prayer has involved music because music is what uplifts us. It's what takes us to different places. It's what carries the words beyond just the meaning that's on the page. And I say that because I believe that, that prayer is one of the hardest things that, that we ask people, and especially that we ask Jews to do. Right? It's very hard to find the words to say. It's very hard to find the right method. And how can we possibly express our feelings using the words that we have in the Siddur or even the words in our own hearts. It's very difficult to get ourselves into the mindset every time. We also do it very often in Judaism. So it's hard to get there every single time. And the, the liturgists, when they were coming up with the words that were going to be in our Siddur, they, they knew that and they understood it. And they wanted us to know it and express it every time we pray. And so they put this line right here in the middle of the Siddur for Shabbat. It says, Ilu finu Even if our mouths were filled with words, like waters fill the sea, even if we were filled with this song, we still wouldn't be able to express our gratitude for the thousands upon thousands of thousands of things that are done for us every single day. That's what we say. Before we say, then we go on for two more hours to, to try and express with words all of our feelings. But right before that, we express that we're never going to be able to, to internalize and express all the things that we want to say. So if that's the case, then you know, my question for us for today and for beyond is, what's the role of the words in prayer if they can never be enough? If we can begin to understand the depth of meaning layered in the words, perhaps the words will begin to soften our hearts, guide us, 
change us and inspire us. And for me, that feels like that's the ultimate goal of prayer. It's not just about connecting with God. It's not just about gratitude. It's about centering our own hearts and finding ways that we can prepare for the day, the week, the year ahead. And especially for the high holidays, these prayers are about how we can turn our heads and our hearts towards how we're going to be, what version of ourselves we're going to be this next year. So I, I wanted us to, to just begin with this text, and uh, maybe we can just share, uh, I'll pose a question, and I was wondering if we could think about it for a second, which is that today uh, is Rosh Chodesh Elul. It's the very beginning of the, the month of Elul, where we're beginning this 40-day period of introspection from now through, the, the, through Yom Kippur. And that word Elul, that month, if you flip around those letters, I really love um, gematria and Hebrew numerology and the connections between different words. And those letters also form the word lule, which means if only. Um, if only I were able to do this, if only I were able to do that. And we find ourselves, I think, saying that a lot. And especially at this time of year, I'm wondering, and maybe people would be willing to, to share some answers, what is something this year where you have said, if only this, if only I had fill in the blank, if only this. I can start with one while we're thinking. I've been thinking a lot about, um, for, for, the, for the last many months, I've been doing a lot of Zoom services and, and connecting with people and creating and collaborating from a distance. And I've been saying over and over again, if only when I was a little younger and my brain was a little bit faster thinking, if only I had taken some more music theory classes. And if only I had taken a one more computer class where I would have known how to do these skills without having to watch hundreds of YouTube videos to figure them out. If only I had paid a little more attention when I first was able to be able to do this before I needed these skills. If only I had developed the intention to learn them. That's my if only. If only the internet didn't have latency built into it, we would be able to actually sing together and perform together. Amen. Amen. Thank you. There are a few in the chat. Lori said, if only I can hug my mother. Mm. And Renee mm. said, if only it weren't a pandemic and I could hold my grandson and travel. Mm. And Merle said, if only I had all of my family with me in the same house. And Marcy said, amen to all of the above. Beautiful. Thank you. And that reminds me that I should probably pull up the chat here so I can see everyone's chats. So holding on to those if onlys and trying to figure out uh, where we're going to go from here. What does that if only take us through? I wanted to bring us to the words from, uh, the, the, that fit with that melody that we sang in the very beginning. And the words come from this, this, uh, this piece of liturgy called Hayom Harat Olam. Um, which is right in the very uh, center of our, of our holiday liturgy. And uh, it's, it comes right after we blow the shofar. It's the first thing that we say, Hayom Harat Olam. Today, the world is pregnant with possibility. There is so much opportunity. There's so much potential. Um, and the words say, Hayom Ya'amid Bamishpat Kol Yitzurei Al Olamim. Today, all of creation stands in judgment. And uh, like we were saying before, this is, uh, I, I think, was, did Barbara say that it was contemplative? Somebody said it was contemplative. Um, Barbara said it was sad, which we'll get to in a second also. But uh, whoever said it was contemplative, we're trying to figure out, we have two different options for how we're going to be judged. The first is im kevanim or im ka'avadim. Are, are we going to be judged as children or are we going to be judged as servants? And we ask the question, 
we follow each line of reasoning along itself. Im kevanim, rachamenu kerachem av abanim. If we're to be judged like children, have mercy on us like a parent has mercy on their children. Ve'im ke'avadim, einenu lechatzuyot. And if it's as servants, our eyes are upon you. We're looking up to you, asking for mercy, asking for our punishment, asking for our verdict to be cleared, like light, to be lightened like air. We ask and we say, full of awe and holiness. We call God this, this full of awe and holiness. Um, so I wanted to try and sing this melody with the words here. And then I wanted to take us through uh, an interesting thing about how we envision ourselves, which is what I was trying to think about when I was putting together this melody. The idea is there's two pieces of this melody. One, where we're thinking about ourselves as if we are children, as if the whole world is present, pregnant with possibility and there's an opportunity for us here. And the second is just looking up with the answer out of our hands, im ka'avadim, if, if we're as servants. And so that you'll, you'll be able to hear, hopefully, these two parts are, are fit, are set to the text, set to the melody in a different way. Um, so we'll follow along. If you want to sing along, it goes like this. Hayom, hayom, hayom haratulam. Hayom, hayom, hayom haratulam. Hayom, hayom, hayom haratulam. Hayom, yamid ba'mishpat ko'yitzure olami. Thanks for, uh, for singing along with that with me. Um, 
appreciate it. I'm feeling a little bit of, I know I can't hear those harmonies, but I'm feeling the, the unity as well in, in just seeing and experiencing everyone participating in that together. Um, so I wanted to take us through uh, two, two interesting texts that I think connect to each other and connect to us and this melody. Uh, and the first is from uh, the Mishnah Torah, Maimonides, his Hilchot Tshuva, his, his, uh, his laws of repentance. And it's about the blowing of the shofar, which is the piece of the liturgy that, that this text is, is connected to. It's from the shofar service. And we're trying to figure out what the shofar blast is about and how it's helping us imagine ourselves and act as if we're playing a role in this experience. It's not just a listening, it's an active listening. It's taking on our, our role as either as children, as servants, as some, more, some even more active figure in holding on to this experience and moving forward towards the next year. So um, I think maybe, maybe I'll, re I'll read here so we can see what, uh, what we're going through here. But we see that the beginning of the Mishnah Torah, we're talking about the blowing of the shofar. Maimonides says, Notwithstanding that the blowing of the ram's horn trumpet on Rosh Hashanah is a Torah law, its blast is also symbolic, as if saying, You who sleep, wake yourselves from your sleep, and you who slumber, emerge from your slumber, examine your conduct, turn in repentance, and remember your Creator. So therefore, it's necessary for every person to see, him, to see themselves throughout the whole year as someone evenly balanced between innocence and guilt. And look upon the entire world as if it is also evenly balanced between innocence and guilt. Thus, if you commit one sin, you will overbalance yourself and the whole world to the side of guilt and be a cause of its destruction. But if you perform one mitzvah, behold, you will overbalance yourself and the whole world to the side of virtue and bring about your own and their salvation and escape. As it is written, yesod olam, the righteous are the foundation the everlasting foundation. It's the righteous who serve as a foundation for the world. They overbalance the whole world to virtue and save it. So I love this idea of, of each one of us having the potential to tip the balance for the entire world, right? The, this potential, this possibility isn't just related to you and the opportunities that you had. It's not if only just for you. It's if only you could do this one thing because this whole thing is going to tip the scales. It's going to tip the balance the whole world, it's a lot of responsibility here because the whole world is depending on your individual action, right? If you, are, if you make one motion, one move on either side of the scale, it's going to tip over on either side. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of intense responsibility here. It, it, it feels a little bit more um, intricate and more active than the Hayom Harat Olam verse, which is just about how we're going to be viewed. We're going to hold on to this day. We've presented our case already, but it depends on how you look at us, God. We've shown you all that we are. We've shown you all that we do, but you're going to judge us this way or you're going to judge us that way and there's not much else we can do about it. This understanding is very different. This understanding is, it's up to me. I'm the one that has to figure out where we're going to go next. Am I going to tip the balance in this direction or am I going to tip the balance in that direction? So we have to figure out what to do there. And as a result, Rambam tells us, my Maimonides tells us that there's this action that we're supposed to do here. He says, and as a result... It became a custom for the people of Israel to excel at giving charity in good conduct and in performance of mitzvot during the days from Rosh Hashanah to Yom Kippur, more so even than during the rest of the year. It also became a universal custom to rise early during those 10 days to deliver in the synagogues prayers of supplication and ardor till the dawn of the day. So 
this was our answer, right? We're, our, we're, we're here about to tip in the balance. We have these 40 days to figure out which direction we're going to go. And so Rambam Maimonides tells us that what we're supposed to be doing is we're supposed to do what we should have been doing throughout the whole year, but make sure we do it right now. Make sure that we're excelling and giving charity. Make sure that we're in good conduct. Make sure that we're performing mitzvot. Make sure that we're doing all of these things that we wish we had done if only we had done it over the course of the year. But by saying that if only in this moment, when we turn into the, the time of Elul and this time of repentance, when we say that if only, we allow ourselves to activate the change. Or we allow ourselves to say, this is what I'm going to do now. I'm going to hold on to this experience and I'm going to do something about it. Um, and... So we see a precedent here uh, in, in, a, in a really, really amazing story from Vayikaraba. And it's the precedent of, that, that gives us the opportunity for all of us to come to this moment and confess all of our misdeeds and think about the mistakes that we've made and think about what new mistakes we're going to make in the next year. This is the opportunity. It goes all the way back to the very first individuals who ever did something wrong and how they were able to get forgiven for that fact. So um, does anyone want to bring us through this story from Vaikarabha? Do we have a, another strong reader that wants to read from us uh, this, this teaching here? I can read. Thank you. It was taught in the name of Rabbi Elazar on the 25th of El, the world was created. We thus find that on Rosh Hashanah, at the first hour, God thought to create humans. At the second hour, God conversed with and was advised by the angels. Okay, so hold on one second. So we have a whole bunch of stuff that's happening here already. Wow, this is a fascinating idea. Has anyone heard this idea before that the world was created on the 25th of Elul? What's special about the 25th of Elul that the world would have been created on the 25th of Elul? Any ideas? What makes it? Yeah, Barbara, did you have a thought there? Yeah, who knows, right? What's, we, we've never heard, has anyone ever heard of the 25th of Elul having any particular significance? It's six days before Rosh Hashanah. Aha, uh-huh. six days before Rosh Hashanah. I don't know who said that. Who said that? Henry Morgan. Henry, thank you so much. It's six days before Rosh Hashanah. And what was created on the sixth day? Anyway. Human beings. Human beings. Yes, there we go. Okay, so now we've figured it out. Well, so the sixth day of creation, Rosh Hashanah is the day that we say that humanity was created. Wow. This is, I love this idea. So it's not that the whole world was created on Rosh Hashanah. Vayikar Rabbah is telling us that this was the day that we were created. The world had to have existed before that because we weren't created at the moment when the world was created. So the 25th of Elul now gets this very special significance. Mazel Tov to the 25th of Elul. And here we are on Rosh Hashanah now, the day that human beings were created. And we go through every single hour of this day trying to figure out what happened on this day. How did human beings come into existence in this day? So Vaikar Rabbah says on the first hour, God thought to create human beings. And at the second hour, God conversed with and was advised by the angels. Right? There's a whole bunch of Midrashim. We'll look, we'll look at a couple next week, I think, about um, what the angels discussed in that moment. For the most part, most of the angels were not in favor of creating humans. They did not really want humans to exist. They liked the world the way that it was, just with the angels. Um, But luckily for us, God did not listen to most of those angels. And here we are today. So we have the first hour of the second hour. Okay, Alexander, take us through what happens in the third hour. At the third hour, God gathered the dust used to create Adam and Eve. At the fourth hour, God molded this dirt to the shape of humans. At the fifth hour, God made the plan and shape. At the sixth hour, God molded the form. At the seventh hour, God blew into them a soul. Okay. 
Now we have a lot of different steps, right? We read a, a few of these steps uh, in actually in Breshit, in the story of creation. God's gathering the dust. God plans this out. There's a lot of thinking that goes into it. It took God a whole hour for each one of these steps. And <laughs> nice, Jackie, right? God clearly had a really good project manager, right? Everything went on time. It was by the book, hour by hour. And and for, for each one of these things, right, God sh- does a lot of things instantaneously, and God has these fickle emotions all the time. So the fact that God's taking an hour for each one of these steps, there's a lot going into each one of these each one of these moments. This molding, it took a lot of intense creation to figure out how all this happened. And so by the seventh hour, here we are, humanity with a soul. Beautiful. I love that that also that happens in the seventh hour. Right? In Judaism, we have all these beautiful significances of seven. So here we are with our neshama in the seventh hour. All right, we only have, there's only 12 hours in the day. So don't worry, we don't have to go so far. But uh, Alexander, take us through a little bit more. At the eighth hour, God brought Adam and Eve into the Garden of Eden. At the ninth hour, God commanded them concerning the fruit of the tree of good and evil. At the tenth hour, Adam and Eve violated God's command and ate from the prohibited fruit. At the eleventh hour, they were judged. At the twelfth hour, they were pardoned. Let's pause here for a second. So... Okay, this, now we have a lot more that's happened, right? Human beings are here. They get brought into the garden. The ninth hour, they're commanded about the tree. And already in the 10th hour, they're already gone. They already messed it up, right? They've only been here from, they've only even had a soul for three hours. And even after three hours, they're done for, right? They lose, they, they, they eat from the prohibited truth fruit and in the 11th hour they sit before god in the in in uh, some justice <laughs> jackie says nothing good happens after 2 a.m that's right right it's too late now right it was arab shabbat before and now we've gone far into the night and really bad things are happening <laughs> beautiful so the 11th hour they're sitting and they're getting judged here and already by the 12th hour they're pardoned so what happened in that last hour? How did, they, how did they figure out a way to get from this terrible punishment to already being pardoned? And there's a problem here. The problem is that, did they get pardoned? Not really, right? They kind of get, get a pretty bad punishment. They get kicked out of the garden. The punishment would have been death though, right? Ah, yes, there we go. So the punishment for eating from this tree of good and evil, they, God could have wiped out all of these creations already. They had just been created. You say, you know what? The mold didn't work. I got to go with mold number two instead. And instead, oh, thank you, Rene. They, they negotiated with Hashem. There's a pleading happening. There's something happening in the courtroom here, right? They're able to plead their own case. They're not just sitting and waiting for justice to happen to them. They're an active participant in this process. And that's what this, you know, in my opinion, that's, that's what this whole season is all about. It's us being an active participant in this very important process of taking ownership of, over our own lives, right? How are we going to decide how our life is going to be in this next year? What direction are we going to take ourselves, right? It's this active moment. It's this human participation in our own lives. We're not just watching from the balcony, waiting to see what's going to happen. We're not watching it on TV. We are the main characters in our own story. So... We, we were here, and then we get the 12th hour, we were pardoned, and let's finish the story. Uh, at the 12th hour, they were pardoned, said the Holy One, blessed be God to them. This is a sign for your children. Just like you came before me in judgment, and I have given you a pardon, so too will your children will come before me in judgment, and I will give them a pardon. When will this happen? On the seventh month, on the first day of the month. 
So Vayikra Rabbah always has a, a source text for where it's coming from. This one comes from the book of Vayikra. It says, Moses is supposed to talk to the people of Israel, say to the Israelite people, in the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you shall observe a complete rest, a sacred occasion commemorated with loud breath, loud blasts. Zichron Tiruah. This is the, the first time we hear about Rosh Hashanah. And so from this Rosh Hashanah, we get this beautiful, powerful story about the first people to ever go through this experience. This verse has nothing to do with judgment, right? This verse says you're supposed to observe a Shabbaton. You're supposed to rest on that day. But we've learned here that there's a lot that the rabbis are trying to tell us about what's supposed to happen on that day. It's not just a rest. It's a time for us to give our own reckoning. It's a time for us to participate in this process, for us to be a part of this experience. So to go back to this text that we're thinking about, Hayom Harat Olam is, is trying to tell us that the possibilities that this day is pregnant with are for us to discover. This is the moment, the shofar with the wake-up call is our moment for us to say, we're going to move forward this way. We're not going to wait to decide if we're going to be judged as children, if we're going to be judged as slaves, as, as servants. We are taking, our, are taking this into our own hands. And so when I was trying to think about this melody, as, as people have mentioned, this melody has sort of this contemplative feel. We're thinking about where we're going to go. It gets to this sadness. It says, we pause for a second. What if, what if it's, it's not up to us? What if we're just here being judged as servants? But it doesn't end there. We go back. We go back to Hayomar Atalam. We go back to the moment for us to take this into our own hands, for us to sing it out into the existence, for us to continue on. Thanks so much. Um, for us to continue on and be able to sing and create and get rid of those if onlys and move them into the category of fruition. So we're going to try and sing this one one more time. Um, we'll see if now that we sort of have an understanding of where these words are coming from, what the possibility is for them, uh, do they sit with us in a different way? What is it like to feel the emotion in these words uh, and ex- trying to express exactly what we've learned in this story? So it goes like this. Hold on one second, actually. I'm going to stop the share so we can see each other while we sing. That would be so much nicer. Okay, let's try it again. Oh, <laughs> 
I got so much joy. We have so many new friends and we're singing and we get to see some waving. Hello. Um, that was wonderful. Thank you. Thanks for singing along with that with me. Um, I, we have a few more minutes left. And so I wanted to, to bring us back to, to one other melody that I was hoping to sing. And that was one that if you're following along to all the beautiful and amazing Kavano to the Temple Beth Am and, and Rabbi Cantor Chorney is sending out, uh, she sent out one today, uh, which is about uh, the text Hod Vehadar Lefanav. Um, beauty and splendor before God. So I wanted to just take us back one more moment to, uh, to Hod and Hadar. And uh, these two words are amazing words in my mind. Um, Hod and Hadar, they usually come in partnership. They're, they're twin words. They always stick together. And, uh, and when they're used in partnership, they're used uh, to talk about God, usually to talk about God's sanctuary. Hod ve'adav b'mikdasho, beauty and splendor in God's sanctuary. Um, and here... It's, uh, we're, we're talking about this beauty and splendor. And, uh, and, you know, we've been talking a little bit, the theme this week is humility in all of the kavanot. And uh, it's confusing when we use this word hod, and we do it in the Omer also, where we talk about hod as humility. But in general, we translate hod as, this, as beauty. And beauty and humility kind of seem like opposite concepts in a way. Right? They're, not, they're not really connected to each other. So the question arose for me is, what, what does it mean when we're talking about how can hod be, be anava? How can hod be really from that word? And, and I learned that, that hod actually also comes from this word hoda'a. Hod really comes from gratitude. Right? It's like a shortening of this word. So it's not just about beauty, it's about gratitude, the beauty that's in gratitude. So what is gratitude and how is it connected to humility? And uh, Rabbi Cook teaches us a really beautiful uh, understanding here. He says that humility is connected to spiritual perfection. The more a person comprehends of the world and of life, of their spiritual and material sophistication, the many needs of the world as a whole and of each individual, the more they grasp their own weakness, their own blindness, and the weakness of their desire to do good for others. Through all of this, the spirit becomes humbled. And as a result of it, they constantly strive and grow because of a great desire to come closer to the absolute good, el hatov hamuchlat. The idea is that the only way that you're that you're able to express gratitude is if your cup is not full. If your cup is full with your own ego, there's no room for anything else. There's no room to express gratitude to anything outside of yourself. So humility is pouring out some of that cup of your own ego and leaving space to express gratitude. 
leaving space to express gratitude for the world, for acknowledgement, and for, the, for your place in it. And, uh, and so we sing Hod Vehadar Lefanav. And in this moment when we're singing it about this, this particular place, uh, we actually sing these words both in a weekday and also on Shabbat. On a weekday, we sing Hod Vehadar Lefanav, Oz Vechedvam Bimkomo, glory and majesty before God, strength and joy are in God's place. But on Shabbat, we change the second half of the verse. On Shabbat, we say, Hod ve'adar lefanav, oz ve'tiferet b'mikdasho. So it's no longer about just God's place, mekomo. It's about a holy place, kodsho, mikdasho. And uh, when I've been sort of experiencing singing in all of these Zoom experiences all over the place, um, we're not able as much to sanctify a place as we used to be. We can't come together in the sanctuary. So what we do is we sanctify time. Judaism is always about sanctifying time. Shabbat, we sanctify time. Holidays, we sanctify time. And here in this moment, if we sing this melody together, we're able to turn this virtual space into a mikdash, into a space that feels holy. So we're going to try and just sing these words, Hod vehadar lefanav, just a few times through. And as we're doing it, uh, think back to that if only. What are some of those if onlys that you want to let go? And how are you going to make this year be a year of mikdash, a year of holiness, as opposed to just a year of makom, just a placeholder amongst the years in your life? Yeah. 
Whiskey Ferret. everyone thank you so much for uh, for being in this moment together and for for having the opportunity to to sing and to study together over the next couple of weeks in this time slot we're gonna take a look at a couple more pieces from the high holiday liturgy a couple more uh, compositions some by me and some just uh, some traditional compositions and others that i learned in my childhood these iconic pieces that uh for me uh epitomize what the high holiday experience is and how those melodies can help us to better express what these words are already trying to say. So I'm really looking forward to getting to continue to utilize this space together. And I'm wishing everyone a Chodesh Tov. I hope you have a really wonderful beginning of this month and this uh, this new season of, of Elul, turning those lulays, those if-onlys, into actuality. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.